the FBI was already on to Teixeira's, like, uh, you know, uh, his identity, um, if you look at the timeline, basically. Uh, so it's not like the New York Times found out who he was and then the FBI was like, oops. I mean, they, you know, how you conduct a, a uh, public news report investigation versus how you conduct a law enforcement investigation are, they, they have completely different rules. Welcome back to another episode of Insightful Inquiries. This month, we dive headfirst into the world of intelligence leaks and the profound influence of media on our understanding of geopolitics. We welcome back Alexa O'Brien, a renowned expert in intelligence leaks and their impact on society. Together, we'll explore the intricate interplay between intelligence, media, and politics, delving into the ethics of whistleblowing and the challenges confronted by the intelligence community in maintaining the public's trust. Alexa's expertise will shed light on the delicate relationship between public intellectuals, the media, and the intelligence community, raising thought-provoking questions. Get ready to uncover the power dynamics at play and learn how to navigate the murky waters of media manipulation. Our conversation with Alexa O'Brien promises to be an eye-opening experience, offering invaluable insights into the world of intelligence leaks, media reactions, and the far-reaching consequences of Jack Texera's actions. My Bulky Blender was such a pain to use, I ended up hardly ever using it at all. But the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender makes blending so easy and convenient, I use it just about every day. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15-plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cord. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30-plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Blendjet 2 to complement just about any style. I absolutely love the Lisa Frank edition. What are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Okay. All right. So welcome, Alexa O'Brien, back to the podcast. The first uh, two-timer on the podcast. Uh, a fan favorite, I will say. Um, just all the insights that you were able to give the last time. I think it is, uh, it's a perfect time to get you back on here. Well, thanks for having me. Um, let's have some fun. <laughs> yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, see where, let's see where we get to. Um, because, I, I mean, I know where we want to start. Well, I know where I want to start at which is uh, Jack Texera, which is the uh, National Guard soldier that began to release classified documents on um, Discord and various other social media sites. And so I would consider you, Alexa, to be sort of the subject matter expert on, um, on intelligence, on intelligence leaks. I don't know if that's a I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I do consider you a subject matter expert on that. And then on how uh, how the media reacts to these intelligence leaks. Yeah. 
Well, um, do you want to, do you want me to sort of like, like just describe sort of the general, like what this leak is or. Yeah, let's start there. Let, let's start with, uh, honestly, let's just start with your perspective on what happened. Okay. So, um, uh, Jack Teixeira, he has a Brazilian name, by the way. Um, sorry about that. No, that's fine. Uh, he, um, you know, he was a, uh, a low level, uh, uh, intelligence. I mean, he was an administrator, uh, of, yeah, you know, of the networks at, for the 102nd intelligence wing at Otis Air Force National Guard Base. And, um, while the, the, the predominant, a focus of the media since his arrest has been on his releases or his leaks, uh, to a small group of around, I think like between 20 and 50 people. He actually, uh, there is some, evidence that and the government alleges in its um complaint that he actually had been leaking to a larger discord channel before that and the leaks are very broad they come from the distributed combat ground system which is actually the same system that chelsea manning retrieved her information from that she released to leaks but what's interesting to me about this case i mean one of the big questions that i have just as an investigative question i don't it's the question doesn't have an assumption in it is why did he join the guard? You, you know, right. as to like, uh, you know, our branches of the armed services, um, he was active duty, but the guard is interesting because it has a domestic role. Um, now, so that's one of the questions that I haven't seen sort of like elucidated, uh, in the press. And we don't know. I mean, we don't know. We don't even have an uh, indictment yet. From, we have a complaint. Uh, which was grounds for his arrest, um, uh, you know, but we're going to get at some point an indictment from a grand jury. Um, and that's going to be interesting because that might be, that might play a role in how the government portrays him. Um, maybe not mm-hmm. in the indictment, but, but in, in the case at trial. I mean, ultimately though, you know, we have to remember that, you know, the government's filings in court relate to the Espionage Act. So it's very straightforward. Right. Find a security clearance. You know, a security agreement to get his security clearances. Uh, you know, the law is fairly well established up to the Supreme Court that if you are a government employee and you leak or disclose um, in an unauthorized fashion or retain or whatever uh, national defense information, which this clearly all was because it all relates right. to a lot of it related to, um, you know, military operations. Um, although I mean, we could, we could obviously drill into that, um, you know, and they prove that he is in fact, this person who did that. I mean, he's going to prison. It's as simple as that. Right. At least going to be convicted. Yeah. So. yeah I think that, that goes without, I mean, there, there's no question in that he, he released when, you know, that the hyperbole is highly classified information. Anything that is secreted above is probably considered outside of, I would say outside of the the intelligence community highly classified when when i talk about it uh, as part of the intelligence community when i say highly classified that's like you've got caveats and and things like that but anything secret and above uh, affects national security so all that all those documents the this person is going to go to jail if because he's they released guilty. it yeah, yeah. sorry no i mean if he's found guilty in a court of law um, right. And I mean, you know, the question becomes is like, you know, obviously, does the government have what it needs to establish the 
three or four elements. Um, you know, his signing the security clearance is already the Espionage Act clause. So he's got, you know, the fact that he signed that, he knows that it could cause damage. Not that it did mm-hmm. cause damage, but that it could cause damage, which is like actually the language of the statute. Um, and I mean, I think right. that there are case that one can make just from what's in the public realm, even the mitigation efforts um, in the type of intelligence that was leaked. I, I think it's pretty fair to say. Now, when people come back in the media and they talk about, well, Biden said this or, uh, you know, the head of, you know, UK intelligence said this, uh, those are all, you know, arguable as to whether or not they have the import of what would be considered official statement. Uh, what is really going to be used to judge damage or potential damage is how we should describe it, um, are going to be the classification reviews of the material that the government uses to charge him. So they're not going to come in with 5,000 documents. They're going to come in with a selection of documents to make their case. And, you know, um, because they don't have to come in with 5,000 documents. They could come in with age, you know. But what's interesting is how this plays out in the the public, because it does politicize the intelligence, whether one leak or not. Sorry. No, no. And that's that's exactly why I wanted to have you on, because there are a lot of people who are are, who look at this and say that the media has reacted different to this than they reacted to a uh, a a Snowden or a Chelsea Manning. And uh, and I know that we we talked together offline about these kind of things. And I brought that up because I don't know. You know, I I know how the media reacted to Snowden. It was a uh, a core group of individuals that um, they, they didn't find Snowden, but they were the ones reporting on Snowden. And so they tried to hold back. They didn't want to release his name publicly. They weren't trying to get him arrested. But to a, uh, they, there's a lot of people on social media, Twitter, Instagram, all that who looked at this one and saw that the media was actively involved with the U.S. government in trying to identify who this person was and have this person arrested. Because for what they say, this is not what I'm saying, but this is what they say, he was releasing documents that uh, was against, they would say, what the deep state wants to be released. So they were, he was releasing documents to try to stop the war in Ukraine. And there are certain people that think, well, the U.S. government wants the war in Ukraine to continue to continue this, um, you know, military industrial complex. Yeah. I mean, you know, people talk about stuff like that. I think that you accurately sort of describe like how how the public discourse around intelligence and also, you know, um, geopolitics and politics plays out in the American press. Um, You know, I would I would. Myself, I would tend to disagree a bit with the characterization of that the press didn't want to find out who Snowden was or wanted to protect him because there was a big conflict within the media at the time. You know, reporters are kind of like, you know, they're not, um, (laughs) they want the scoop, right? Mm -hmm. So they could have found out who Snowden was. They absolutely would have, you know, disclosed his identity um the fbi was already on to to like uh you know uh his identity 
um, if you look at the timeline, basically. Uh, so it's not like the New York Times found out who he was and then the FBI was like, oops. I mean, they, you know, how you conduct a, a uh, public news report investigation versus how you conduct a law enforcement investigation are they, they have completely different rules. Number one, you don't want secrecy is like paramount. Uh, especially in a counterintelligence related espionage case, because, you know, he, you know, the minute they had any suspicion that he was uh, possibly that person, I mean, he was immediately being surveilled uh, because, you know, it, it, with espionage cases, especially you want to get as much incriminating evidence that you can bring into court so that you don't have to open up more secrets in a trial. Meaning to say, like, you want to establish as much of the case as possible before you even get near a courtroom or arrest or anything like that, because or or the defendant themselves knows about it. Although I'm not going to pretend that the FBI was or the U.S. government specifically, like you know, the Pentagon, or, were on this. I mean, the public reporting seems to indicate that they um, had no clue that this was going on until it was reported on Telegram. Um, right. But back to my, uh, uh, you know. I, I just don't think, I think reporters, if they wanted to, they would have said, you know, they wanted to know who Chelsea Manning was. They wanted to know who Snowden was. Um, so I, I would kind of disagree with the with the, that characterization because I don't think yeah. that the reporters have changed since Snowden. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. This is also why I wanted you to have you come back on um, because I do think that uh, that discourse within social media kind of, um, it, it allows for these conspiracy theories to run because even people like myself don't understand the dichotomy between journalism and the intelligence community and how the, the two don't, they don't really work together, but they kind of do, you know, there, there are people within the intelligence community who talk to people within the media to release certain things. Um, so that that kind of stuff can come out and get into the worldview to promote certain narratives that they want to promote. But also uh, the media sees certain things that the government's doing and they want to highlight it and, and they want to broadcast that to uh, everyone within the United States or whatever country uh, they're in. So I, I think you bring up a very good point about how w- within the media, it's like, we want the scoop, right? That's how that's how the media works. And you can always correct me when I'm wrong, but it's all about dollars. And so we need clicks or we need people watching and we want the scoop. We've got to have the headline. So I do agree with you with that. Hey, if ABC News had Snowden first, they would have released it immediately. I look at like, oh, sorry. No, go, 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 go. I look at leaks like in terms of like media economics. Did we talk about this last time? Like the Hollywood yes. blockbuster? Yeah. So like, you know, it's like the factory system where, you know, we. I think that the point that we dovetailed on last time was the fact that reporters who are attached to leaks are like stars within the post uh, studio system in Hollywood, you know, where you used to have old time press where... You know, you, we still have institutions like the New York Times and the Washington Post that are run like old studio systems, you know, where you have all this this culture of news gathering and vetting and such. But in the age that we live in now, where you have Substack and such, the reporter becomes like Tom Cruise. You attach Tom Cruise to a um, movie and you have a blockbuster that 
in the long tail of economics, you know, of, of internet niche culture, you know, that rises above and becomes a blockbuster. And so we right. become almost like the vehicle and the reporters attached to finding out who the source is or finding blah, 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 blah. And it, it also ties into a kind of aspect of internet life that an internet culture, which comes from, well, not only the the breadth of information that the internet provides people, uh, good, bad, and, you know, indifferent information, um, it's lack of attribution. So there's this kind of sensibility of like cunning becomes a, the, the rules of civil society change. The more civil society goes online, it becomes almost more and more like a little bit like, you know, a wilderness of mirrors. And that's a cultural artifact that comes along with the internet because of that lack of attribution and that heavy social capital that you would have at the Elks Club or the church or the bowling alley. You have a transient population, blah, 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 blah. Um, but, you know, these leaks themselves, uh, you know, become vehicles for, you know, it's it's the sort of like the economics of it. And then you can distribute it across multiple platforms. And the more controversy, of course, it has, you know, the more kind of, you know, clickbait you get. And so a lot of the discussion right. is, and the conspiracy, I mean, I, I, I don't know this, I haven't studied this as a scholar, but there, anecdotally speaking, there is some kind of aspect of the internet that can have a relationship with, um, well, formerly with TV, but also with kind of news in the sense of like, you jump from link to link. So this sort of conspiratorial aspect of not only official secrecy, like the kind that you have with classified documents, but also de facto secrecy that comes from the fact that in a glut of information, it's the gaps or the things we don't know that become secret. I mean, it's security by obscurity kind of thing. Yeah, and and that's where I see like conspiracy theories thrive is the gaps. Yeah. And and so this one has started a ton of conspiracy theories. I, I think one of the ones is that it's part of some deep state narrative um that the the media is trying to suppress information from the war in Ukraine. And, and so any intelligence leaks that's coming out of the war in Ukraine they're trying to to suppress. So that's I say it again, that's why I, I wanted you to to come on here and, and talk t towards how the media views this certain leak, because uh, and so I can tell you exactly where I was. I was sitting in my office on Twitter when um, certain members of Bellingcat, the intelligence organization out in Europe, was releasing information about the FBI is is about to go. They are about to. They know where the person is, and they're they're about to get him. It's about two hours away. I was watching that happen on Twitter as people were communicating about it. Um, and, and so when it happened, and they put him in cuffs, and they started walking him out, that's when Bellingcat started to get attacked as some sort of uh, deep state CIA, uh, I don't know how to say. Uh, what What is it like? Uh, bootlicker is the Bootlicker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and Bellingcat is is an organization that I respect very much. You know, yeah. I, I read a lot of their stuff and and I appreciate the work that they do as open source intelligence. Analysts. I mean, they're far and above what I can do because I'm just one person. Um, 
So, so I have a lot of respect for those guys. So I started to see these comments about Bellingcat being some, a part of some, you know, CIA operative that was trying to promote. I wouldn't, I don't even know how to explain it right now. Tr- trying You're to promote right. more funds it's to Ukraine, I guess. Or whatever. Yeah. Right. I, it, it, you know, the, I mean, the, the folks who are making those kinds of claims too, I mean, the, it, like, I think, you know, a couple things that, you know, Yes. What do I think about that? I mean, I think nothing new is under the sun. You know, it, it it's funny because a lot of times when we talk about these issues, like like I just referenced the internet and I talked about the change in culture, but nothing is new. I mean, there's a great book by a guy named, his last name is Uzdin, it's called Bureau of Spies. And it's all about the national press um, office uh, building uh, in DC where all like yeah. would hang out. Um, yep before and during and after the cold war and just talking about all the kinds of like information wars and uh you know reporters who worked for or were agents of foreign governments or and also the pushback you know and i always feel like the time that we're living in now is sort of kind of similar to that era of pre you know cold war like sort of during like i guess it would be like it covers like pre-world war ii into world war ii and then that sort of like post World War II, pre sort of Cold War era, um, and uh, I, I think I feel like the time that we're living in now is very similar to that. And when it comes to like the publication of intelligence, um, whether it's done officially or otherwise, clearly um, leaks are part of governance. They're uh, a bureauc- bureaucratically, executively, they are part of politics and in an administrative state. Um, and it doesn't really matter what, you know, century you're in. I mean, since you had like nation states, essentially you've had that kind of component. Intelligence has obviously long been a part of war, a war function. And then, um, you know, rumors and conspiracies have been around for a long time too. You know, whether you're talking about, you know, religious wars during the Reformation and, and stuff like that. I mean, like this is all kind of, um, old stuff. It's obviously, um, how it's impacting us relative to our 70 years of peace during the Cold War. If we lived in the United States and, you know, other Western countries, it might be a little bit shocking. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you, you, your, your question is, is how does the media view it? Well, yeah. Um, look, it's interesting to me that the people who critique places like Bellingcat are ultimately adopting um, a view of government, like men in black, kind of the movie, you know, this kind of high yep. view of government as being, um, all encompassing, all powerful, um, you know, perfectly aligned where, you know, the black cars show up and, uh, there's, you know, that there isn't red tape, there isn't bureaucracy, there isn't incompetence, there aren't like tiny, like there aren't, everything's monolithic. I mean, um, you know, especially in a, in a in a government like ours, which has a executive that's constantly turning over, there's this idea of the administrative state is taking over the executive. Um, you know, CIA is in control. Of, I mean, these kinds of ideas have been around for a long time. Um, you know, now obviously there have been examples of the U.S. government doing illegal or immoral things. Um, the immoral thing needs to be sort of parsed out with the intelligence community a bit because obviously intelligence involves, intelligence collections involves things that are unethical in sort of like 
what we consider like, you know, normal good societies, like stealing information yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, what do I think about that? What does the press think about it? I don't know. Do, you know, like, it only matters to me what the press thinks about it in terms of like how it might impact society. Right. Um, right. And the ability of a, you know, collection of people like we call ourselves Americans to be able to govern ourselves. I mean, that's that's really how it only concerns me. I'm not concerned that there are people who have crazy ideas because there's always people who have crazy ideas. Um, does the press need to be fully informed on intelligence? I think that people who cover national security should have a good hang of it. Um, it, it, it works better that way. But, you know, at the same time, um, I'm not, you know, king, of, you know, I'm, I, I don't have, I'm not making any kind of prescription for it. Um, right. You know, I, I know what you're kind of getting at. I, I kind of, there's a part of me that's, I don't want to, um, I think people should be critical, you know, think critically when they read things. Um, so, so that's, that's where I'm at. So I think, I think in society today, we have, um, we've pushed a lot off to the media to tell me what to do, tell me what I should think, um, as opposed to inform me as to what's going on and I'll make my own opinion on it. But, but I do think that we have kind of shifted as a society to, uh, tell me I have a worldview. I have a, a specific worldview and I want you to tell me how whatever this big news thing fits into my worldview. And so a lot of media organizations that are either left-wing or right-wing have pounced on that. Well, it's funny. I mean, thank God we have those media organizations, though, because otherwise we would have a group of 20 and 30-year-olds passing out classified information to everybody in there. <laughs> I mean, so it's sort of like, yeah, you know, like, let's think about this clearly, like, in society, not everybody has time to collect and vet all the information. So, you know, people work jobs. So you do actually need an aristocracy of sorts, an intellectual aristocracy um, to be able to public intellectuals who help the public understand issues and then to think through issues. They might not have to tell them what to think, but they might give them a set of questions or ideas to consider. And that's important for a free society to have. And the better your public intellectuals are, uh, probably, you know, I would say argue the better informed your public is because people are yeah. led. I mean, even folks in, you know, um, Shara's like uh, generation, which generation alpha, they would say, well, no, 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 everything's equal. You know, we should all be equal. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Right. No. Fundamentally, Teixeira is an arist aristocrat himself. He's a part of the technical aristocracy of admins, like yeah. you know, noted. Yes. They have immense power and influence that impact other people. I mean, he's clearly impacted the U.S. military. He's clearly impacted society. He's impacted tons of very critical things around, you know, his own, you know, where he had, he was, he has allegiance to. Um, he's impacted my job personally just because of the clearance. Just yeah. because, hey, you're, we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do different things. I have to take more lessons. I have to take more courses on holding, uh, classified information, even though I have no desire to release any classified information to anybody, you know, outside of a clearance. Um, I, I still have to go through those courses and, and it's becoming more difficult 
for people who would be really better qualified even than I am to be an intelligence analyst to get into the career field because the, there's more scrutiny to it. I think it, that's a national security issue. One of the, yeah. Why do you think it's a national security? I'm interested to, to know, like. Well, because there are bright, there are very bright individuals who are, they don't, uh, they may not hold allegiance to anything or anybody, but they would never release classified information that may not be able to get a clearance because they've smoked marijuana or they have had, you know, a DUI or, or whatever. You know, they've had some incident in their life that precludes them from having a clearance. And there's more strictness now to it. So, hey, you're not going to get that. Even though you're a very bright individual, you could do a lot for this country. We can't allow you to that because we're not comfortable with you holding the clearance. I think it also like begs the question of like, what's the criteria upon which investigators, uh, I'm sp- thinking specifically, I mean, it's obviously a bureaucratic process. Yeah. Where, where they, 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 they assume that somebody is going to be loyal. I mean, if you look at like espionage cases like Snowden, I mean, he had a parent who is in, you know, had served the country. Um, same here with Teixeira. I mean, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It ma- makes me think about like that second and th- that work by um, Peter Burden on second and third generation um, emigres, their parents like you know, twice removed are most be homegrown terrorists. Like, I'm not trying to make that, I want to make this clear. I'm not equating espionage with terrorism here. I'm just making an, uh, um, an observation about, um, you know, who the ultimate question is, who is more likely to leak? Is it somebody who has parents who are in the military or in the intelligence community? Or is it somebody who has politics or social, a social life that is, um, unconventional to maybe people who have typically joined the military since we got rid of the draft, you know, in our professional lives. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's very interesting. And, and so this guy would say he released it because he was anti-war, anti-violence. Um, and who, this guy, he, uh, yeah, Jack, you mean, he said you, he was anti-war. He didn't, he wanted peace. Who said that he was anti-war? He said that he he uh, did that in his uh, in his discords back. Okay. So in the conversations also, on Discord, uh, he also reportedly said that he wanted to, uh, if he was ISIS, he would kill everybody, you know, and that he wanted an assassination van. So I'm, I I can't imagine that yeah. person being anti-war. It's yeah, like, the, the, exactly. So so we have this guy that says he's anti-war, anti-violence, that would commit violence towards someone so you know so so what do we what do we look at what do we believe who should we be listening to in the in this discourse right it's interesting too because there was a discussion um about like whether he's a whistleblower or not or is this really a a leak yes and you know one of the points that i think is important to sort of drive home is that for his generation they're not necessarily reading the wall street journal or the new york they're on discord you know they're looking for information on tiktok about what's going on in the world and so to them you know this release of one could also make an argument i'm sure there's a counter narrative for it but that like you know um 
the same things that motivated Chelsea Manning in terms of her discussions with Assange reportedly on their chat logs about politics work. He's like, hey, you know, something's going on here. And he's, she's like, well, look at this, you know, that kind of interpersonal relation separating all the words you want to attach to it once it hits the media, uh, the motivations might be very similar, you know, as in like, it, you know, a longing for um, affinity or fellowship, you know, yeah. with somebody, if you're maybe you're feeling like isolated as Teixeira was reportedly feeling in this group with his 20 other friends um, during the pandemic. Um, so, so is this an age thing? Because um, I'm just thinking about this just now. You know, Chelsea, how old was Chelsea Manning when when she started releasing? 24, I think. 23 or 24. Yeah. yeah. And and then Snowden was in his 20s. 25, I would maybe, say. I think. 25. And so there was a lot of discourse about, uh, there was a lot of conversations about, you know, why does this, okay, this this person within the National Guard was 21 years old and he had all, he had this clearance and high level, which I would say, I hate to tell you, I hate to tell everybody listening, but I was 18 year old, I was 18 years old and I had one of the top clearances you can have and I had access to all kinds of stuff. I had no desire to release it, but as a 20 year old, I had all this information. I think that that question is almost like, it's a good one because it's sort of like, we need to ask, why are we asking about that age? Well, first of all, who joins the military? Okay. It's not yep. 40 year olds. Okay. Do, right. do you know what I mean? Like who, who are in, in current active, uh, scenarios, like who are the people that are predominantly in terms of scale going to have access to this information? It's, it's going to be young people because they're the people who are basically enlisted in the military at that age. You know, they're not blah, 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 blah. The other thing too is, um, I always like am curious. This is not a question that you or I could ever find an answer to because uh, because of the nature of the information being secret. But we talk about in the press how there have been more leak or espionage prosecutions since Obama or you know, under Trump than any other time. But we also have access to class classified information has grown exponentially. Yeah, one point two million people have top secret clearances. 1.6 million yep. people have secret clearances. So is that true at scale? I mean, maybe it's proportionate, meaning to say like, if you, it's a question one can't answer, meaning to say like, okay, at scale of the amount of classified information, are there actually in fact more, or is it just moving at steadily, you know, pr uh, proportionate line? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I see it as, we've become way more global. So I think we have more access within the intelligence community. We have way more access to journalists. We have way more access to, um, to, to individuals to speak to on social media. And this is just a, a case in point, you know, Discord. Uh, I knew what Discord was. I'm sure you knew what Discord was before, before this came out. But there was a large, major large majority of Americans who had no idea what Discord was until this came out and so asking how what is this person even doing going on discord to give this information to people um and, and we're just way more connected at this point and I think also so i we, think that's part of it totally 
And also, like, you know, how much does the public actually understand? Do we understand ourselves as a nation? You know, how much of like, you know, how many gaps do we have in our own understanding about how government works, how the military works, how the intelligence community works? And, uh, you know, for good reason, obviously, like, you know, it's not like we want to like, you know, broadcast how we recruit people to the military, you know, to, to the, you know, intelligence community and like all the bureaucratic processes, because those are also, you know, I guess, ways that you can also look at chinks in the, you know, any government's um, uh, guardian class, you know? Yeah. I do think that there's like bigger questions. I, I'm not saying that we should reestablish the draft at all, but like when everybody's invested in the military, it does actually sh- seem to create a social sensibility that if you, you know, if you're leaking, you're actually leaking against your, the people that you know, yeah. and, and just relegated to um, a, a certain segment of society or certain states that send a lot of people into the military who eventually ultimately work in the intelligence community because that's where they get their clearance and that's how they kind of move over for the most part. Um, yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point because um, I, I do kind of see that where it's like, I'm going to release this stuff. It doesn't affect me. I see a problem within the system. It doesn't affect me personally. So I can release this stuff and the people that it does affect are so far away. I, I'll never meet those people. But it, and once again, not not asking for a draft or anything like that. But if if we are a full nation at war in in a complete global war, uh, it, it is a little bit different. And we do kind of try to keep those secrets. And that is a everyone can sense that that is national security. We have to keep that a secret because if we don't. My my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter might be killed in, in the process. Yeah. And, you know, it's like Congress, too. Like you think about like the fact that policymakers nowadays, they're predisposed to get their own information. I'm not talking about the intelligence communities. I'm talking about like Congress, larger Congress. Um, right. And and ultimately, uh, you know, look, let's not just well, you can stay in the role of like protecting government secrets. Let me just talk about from a like a public interest standpoint. Um, it's that gray line because we, you know, we don't have a capability of truly, um, having, you know, like, let's say enough oversight of, um, you know, fraud, waste and abuse. Uh, yeah. when you look at like the, look, Reagan talked about, you know, making government smaller, but the executive grew under him. And then, you know, we don't have, we don't fund Congress enough to have oversight of the intelligence community and the military. And I mean, GAO reports will tell you, I mean, there's a ton of fraud waste, you know, um, so in that segment. So, you know, obviously, you know, the, the press, um, itself, which they're not a lot of national security reporters, but right. there really aren't. Um, I mean, there's probably, I mean, le- less than like, like, let's, I'll be fair, like less than 500. Uh, less than you know 300 in the united states um so they're not really covering our wars they're not covering and intelligence is such an important function in u.s national security um, globally so it's uh it's a weird kind of it's a weird hallway to be in and there's just a lot of you know you talked about like well, what does the media think i mean uh, parts of the media probably have a sophisticated understanding of it 
Um, I don't know if the public cares about that always, right? because the public could like, you know, they want it. It's a human nature. They want that kind of drama. Is it. that what the media is looking for when they're, when they're making a headline or they're making um, a report or something like that? They, what's the, what does the American people want to know? Is that like the goal or? Well, every, every publication has its own standards. Um, okay. obviously and its own groupthink of, you know, or, or, or values about like what is considered newsworthy. Um, and also what's commercially interesting to them. But um, they'd all be looking for, if someone came to one of the, the journalists within a publication and said, Hey, I have an intelligence leak. Is that something they would be looking for? Not to tell anybody to, to go out and do that, but if it was something you know, op- opposed to the government, whether it's the Trump administration, the Biden administration, left, right, they're just looking to uh, to highlight something within the government that may be secretive. Um, I, I mean, the media isn't monolithic. Uh, so uh, different media organizations would do different things. And I don't think they, you know, sourcing is also like there are different levels of sources. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's in right. the open source. Um, or that you can deduce. I mean, there's a lot of different things that would make it into a report. I mean, the reason why the media began covering this is because, well, it was all over, you know, social media channels. I mean, they, they would, that's why they're covering this, right? right. Um, and, you know, they covered the leak reports. I, I don't have, I don't take issue with um, coverage of stuff that's, you know, I mean, I guess, how do you see it? I, I'm curious to see how you see it. So, so the way I looked at it was, um, with, with this intelligence leak, I, I stayed firm in everything that I saw. I I think any intelligence leak is a national security concern, not because of what was leaked out, because I will say within this particular intelligence leak, everything that was posted about within the intelligence leak, I already knew outside of the purview of classified documents. The United States, um, you know, spies on adversaries. The United States spies on friendly countries. Everybody knew that already. Uh, What was going on in Russia with with Russia and Ukraine, everybody knew this already. Um, so, So what's national security is how we identify these things as a military, how we identify these things as a nation. And, and so I was very, the way I saw the media approach this intelligence leak, I was very pro media on this one in identifying the person who did it, having the FBI go to the location, arrest the person, and then go through a trial. That was all part of how I think this nation should be run. Rule of law. Yes. And and if this person is found to be innocent of their actions because they did not get it, I, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. But if that was true, if if a jury of their peers says, you know, this is not, uh, you know, this is not illegal, it's not a national security issue, any of that stuff, then by all means, they can go back to their lives. Um, but that due process needs to happen. Didn't John Adams represent the uh, somebody from the Boston massacre? 
that's how, yes. like, how I like to take that approach. I mean, that's how, that's actually how I take that approach. I mean, I think that's a very American thing, you know, especially when feelings are really heightened and people are really angry. It's really important. Um, which reminds me, I mean, talking about intelligence and how it can anger people or how it gets politicized. I mean, one of the things that really interests me about intelligence in the media economy, but also in civil society is, um, since the seventies, the intelligence community has come under in the United States has come under more oversight than at any other time prior. Yeah. You know, because, and there is a, there is a philosophically speaking, it is, there's no controversy that this is a, this is a fundamentally an article two power. I mean, this is about executive mm-hmm. power. Um, but with caveats, obviously as, as the government has grown, you know, so we have the intelligence and armed services committees that do that. And what's interesting is during the Cold War, the intelligence community found that it was really helpful to release information to academics like uh, Soviet military power, where, you know, that openness of those reports and the dialogue between, you know, civil society and the government enabled them to have better intelligence about the Soviet Union during the Cold War. You could, a politician would come in and say, we need 50 billion nuclear weapons. I'm exaggerating. Um, and right. you could have somebody go, eh, you know, Soviet power is not that, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and the question has always been is, should you release this information to Congress though? Because it politicizes it, it becomes a football. And that, uh, scenario has only exacerbated or may have been made worse or grown into the, you know, the public sphere where you have the capabilities for propaganda and information wars, both domestically as well as internationally. Obviously, the public needs information to be able to govern itself. And for you, know, too much secrecy is not healthy for the administrative state, state either because it breeds conspiracy, it breeds paranoia, blah, 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 blah. Um, and even Rumsfeld argued about, you know, overclassification being detrimental to policy because yeah. the less information that you had access to, the higher the risk. You know, you would say, oh my God, the risks is, is enormous. Um, and there's a whole push after 9-11 with connecting the dots and such. But fundamentally, you know, we have to think about, um, uh, you know, what do we need as a society to function? Um, not only in terms of information, but in terms of critical thinking. And because information isn't knowledge, you know, and that's really right that we miss in our technical age. Yeah. And that's that's where intelligence is. So until all intelligence is, is information. Uh, it doesn't even have to be classified. It can just be regular information and then it's piecing everything together. Um, but so, so where the media comes into this is what is, you know, what's the government hiding? What is going on here? And so I bring it back to, uh, and, and this is all on social media. I can't tell you what's going on within boardrooms at different publications, but within, within social media, you know, people like Michael Malice and, and Matt Taibbi, they, they kind of see this deep state of, oh, the media is really focusing in on this person and they're trying to arrest this person because they're going against this. Uh, it, it's he is going against their narrative of, uh, I would say, even to the point of I don't know if some of these individuals, some of these independent journalists believe that a war is actually going on in Ukraine. The, the way that they talk about it is we're, the U.S., first of all, is sending way too much money out to Ukraine to help protect against Russia. But 
also the media is culpable because they're trying to squash any pro-Russian narratives that are coming out within the media. I mean, I, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of Putin uh, personally, uh, or, or the Russian. Neither am I. (laughs) A government, um, and I kind of find it a bit astounding sometimes when I listen to those guys. But I, I mean, I also know those people, you know, and, you know, for me, the question is, is like, like, where does that come from? You know, where does that viewpoint come from? Look, um, if they made an argument that I actually found was had some like some for me personally, on my own kind of judgment, uh, some kind of substance to it, um, I don't think that countering you know the the conventional narrative in and of itself that doesn't interest. I mean, that doesn't like I, I can be provocative too. I can say a lot of provocative things. I, I don't care that somebody can be provocative. That doesn't do anything for me. It's like what's the quality of your argument? Um, because hopefully it, it you know it balances all all out. You can have better judgment. The, the thing that interests me is like why is it that those communities are so overwhelmed with that narrative? Because there's an information war going on there. Uh, right. Very much. You know, it's not as if the progressive press in the United States. I'm not going to name who it is, but, you know, you've named some of them, so to speak. It it doesn't have its own um, hierarchy of who sets the agenda, who sets the agenda, you know, how many which philanthropists and socialites set the agenda for that. And where what where are they? What's their thinking and where's that coming from? You know, I do think there is this concept within uh, I don't know how to to describe this just like within the average American, that there there is this elite. There are these set of elite people who are sending the narratives out and, and they're emailing it out to everybody. And, and I will say, I've never gotten one of those emails about a narrative to push. You tell but me. Those com- I'm, I'm just in general, you know, that's part of a conspiracy theory is a narrative gets pushed out from a certain person or individuals that have money and influence. I don't uh, think that in and of itself as a model is incorrect. There are very powerful people in the world who do have, some of whom are politically engaged. Not all of them are. They might be politically engaged in, well, everybody's politically engaged, you know, in their own way for their own interests. We all have interests. Because of power. Um, because, yeah, or even personal autonomy. You know, we all vote in a particular way. Not not everybody votes, but, you know, we have our personal interests that create our faction. Right. That's like the Federalist Papers. Um, right. I think that there are powerful people in the world who do fund social agendas um, or political agendas according to their view of the good. And, you know... The question becomes like, unfortunately, it descends into nihilism. It doesn't have to, but it does um, for a lot of people because they're like, oh, my God, we're in the post-truth world. That means that I can't make any judgments, you know, like uh, or whatever. Um, I can't use my brain anymore. It doesn't matter because nothing matters. <laughs> um, that kind of thinking, um, which is prevalent today. But but back to my point about there absolutely are are powerful people behind you know, the Greenwalds and the Taibis and uh, tons of, I mean, the, you know, and the progressive ag- agenda in the United States, just as there are against the, con- the just as there are with the conservative agenda. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself isn't a conspiracy. That is a, you, you could look at, you know, Aristotle for that. I mean, no man becomes a tyrant to get out of the cold. 
in the sense that like every one of us has, you know, if it isn't economic or physical interests, uh, let's say control of property, land, air, water, blah, 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 blah. It could be honors. It could be the idea of the good. I, and I'm not going to bore people anymore with that. But um, what what ma- what bothers me about it is that like uh, there's a lack of a bit of intellectual honesty about, you know, a lack of. Well, maybe there isn't. I mean, there, there could just could people who are dumb or there are also people who um, know better and are just being clever because maybe they're demagogues, you know. Um, so that's, I think, what that, that phenomena is ultimately. But that's a question that, you know, I think that any time we start getting filled with self-righteousness, we always have to ask ourselves um, on some level, um, why do we think it's good? It's like this, this constant parlay to objectivity is important because we want to be objective, but fundamentally, we also want to know what do we think is good? Um, and you know, why do, why is it important to like a lot of these like folks who are, um, sort of fascinated with, uh, um, you know, Putin as a, um, I don't know, a revolutionary, uh, anti-American, you know, uh, savior of the world. Um, you know, they'll talk about like, well, everything should be, you know, fragmented or whatever. Um, you know, you, a good reading of Machiavelli will tell you why that's a really dangerous thing. If you want to have, um, justice and peace and not reading Machiavelli from the point of view of like the mob, but reading, if you centralize power, if you have actually stability in the world, uh, you can also, um, have the ability of people to be good to each other. It's a kind of flip on the idea of the good society instead of looking at this ideal world where nobody does anything anything wrong which is not real um you can right. look at like i'm not suggesting that there that that isn't a larger discussion but you need to get to that kind of level of politics and geopolitics and understanding how the world actually is um and, and how we can in that kantian sense like aspire to be better as people and as a society um, and that takes a sophisticated understanding of intelligence and also I think, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And, and I'm glad you brought up the, so the whole, the Putin thing, because there, there are a ton and I'm not an independent journalist, but I'm very independent in that I don't make any money from a, a hierarchy or anything like that. And there are other independent journalists that have spoken out against you know what what the US government may be doing but when it came to Russia and Ukraine what i saw um and i'll do it very broadly but if you want me to name specific names i can do that uh when when russia invaded ukraine they were very silent on what russia was doing and then as soon as it started to come out that ukraine was hitting back on Russia recently within sites in Moscow, within sites in Russia, they were very outspoken about why is Ukraine doing that? Is this something that is this a nefarious thing where they are embedded within Russian media or is this just they're not seeing a clear picture? Um, Sorry, my computer just did that sound. I don't know. I mean, I know that there's been reports like in British tabloids about uh, Ukrainian hits within 
uh, the Russian Federation. And then also separately, I mean, there was a leak. Uh, uh, Teixeira did actually leak about um, uh, the Ukrainian president's plans to actually hit inside, which didn't, right. based on the reporting, yeah, didn't appear to be um, disinfo um, in that sense. Um, the, uh, you're asking, how do I feel about that? Yeah, is it, do, do you see this as some sort of... Um... I don't even know. Is is the money flowing what? from Russia to these people or are they just so far against what the narrative of the Biden administration is that we have to be so far against that uh, we have to come up with our own narrative? It's not like, well, I, I first of all, I don't know. Because, and I wouldn't, they you know, surmise that Russian money is changing, whatever. I don't have like that kind of like, I haven't done any work, you know, looking <laughs> into that question. Um, you know, which is it's an I mean it's a good question to ask, um, obviously, but I, I don't even think that one needs to go to that point. I mean, look at like history, um, and just talking about it in a, as a social phenomenon. Obviously, um, there are tons of ways to affect influence. I mean, look at the peace movement in the United States during the Cold War. I mean, that was basically fairly well infiltrated by, you know, the Soviets. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it depends on what the nation's objectives are, you know, a nation state's objectives are. Um, and there is no doubt, I mean, from personal experience, uh, having done what I've done in my life as a journalist, as a blogger, blah, 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 blah. There absolutely is, you know, I've been offered a lot of stuff, you know, um, I was offered a job at Sputnik. Um, I don't know if you know that. Uh, you know, I was offered a uh, a blog at Telsur um, right after the the Manning trial. So it could also just be like, I mean, the Sputnik thing was very interesting, but um, but yeah. it was more interesting than just being offered the job, so to speak. You know, um, but obviously, it's about you know you want to make a name for yourself. You're young, right. whatever. And, you know, we'd have to take each each particular kind of person and think about it like holistically. Uh, But I think is I think that's the way to go. Right. You have to take each individual um, and and research it because there are some people I you know, there are some people that I respect a lot within journalism, like like yourself, who have said things that I may disagree with. And so I do a deep dive into what that person is saying and a lot of the times when i disagree with that person on an emotional level on a um on a worldview level i find that they are more geared towards the truth than what i initially thought i'm but a then little that, then- mystic so like when i actually have an emotional response to it it can oftentimes I, it's when i have to drill back into like the facts of the matter yeah so I'll have yeah any- that's yeah um, that, but that's you- definitely what I talk about is like the emotional reaction initially, I feel like for me is my worst reaction. So but I give myself that grace, have the emotional reaction and then do the deep dive. Yeah. Look, fundamentally, civil society needs public intellectuals who are capable of talking about these issues. Um, and I think that the United States could do well with, you know, having engaging not just policy wonks so people who can engage people's minds and that takes a little bit of like 
in the Greek sense, a little bit of like seduction too. It takes like, you know, that's why Socrates took, you know, educated young men in Athens who would have power. That's the Tsheras and the Snowdens and the Mannings and the Greenwalds and the people who have power in society. Um, mm-hmm. And we all, to some degree, especially in this society, have some leverage or power. Um, and, you know, now I'm going to come down from the mountaintop and say that these are very, very complicated issues. And there's a lot of shades of gray. You know, just because I don't like somebody who is a liar or who has got values that I don't have doesn't mean that it's illegal that they're doing something. So, you know, in our system and rule of law, one of the big kind of great conflicts is the conflict between what is, you know, we think is good and what somebody's moral under moral rights theory they have the right to do. Um, these are, you know, all these things need to be parsed out, but they're all very good questions. And I think that sometimes like, you know, you, you know, broken record, but when you learn how to think about these things in that way, sometimes you can, um, you, you can hopefully have good judgment um, against a mastery of yourself, hopefully. I mean, that's that's the hope. So do you see within society today that the intelligence community within the United States has a um, they have a trust issue with the American people? I think so. I think that's been happening since the Gulf War. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the, I guess American trust in the intelligence community, um, you know, declined after the pre-war debacle. But that mm-hmm. in itself, like we talked about before, that needs to be parsed out because there's a lot of misinformation about that period, too. Um, so I think that, what do you call it? Yeah, I think there is a, a trust issue but because I feel the same. So I feel the same way as someone coming out of the intelligence community, the public intelligence community within the, within the government. There's a trust issue. That's how I see it. This is a this, this is a good question. Let's think about our question. Is our question actually parsed correctly? All right. Number okay. one, intelligence community and the military aren't bigger than they were during World War Two. I mean, actually, they're small. They're small. They're fairly specialized. We have a professional army or military. Um, you know, we have a pretty, you know, uh, we have a we have a growing intelligence community because it cuts through um, the private sector. You know, there's a lot going on there. Intelligence is also our the mandate for intelligence is global. You know, mm-hmm. in, in a way that it wasn't um, since air. You know, with air power and with all the changes in technology, with the way that the U.S. conducts things. After the, after the Cold War, obviously, terrorism, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So that's that's the nature of that. Um, now, some people would argue and say t- that, what are you talking about? Like, the trust in the intelligence community is what got us into this situation, you know? Yep. Whether or not that's actually an accurate criticism. Okay, they're talking about the Gulf War, you know what I mean? Like, um, and they're talking about, you know, the invasion of Iraq and the pre-war debacle. And obviously, You're talking about weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction. Um, you know, we had a very close relationship between the Bush senior and Bush junior White Houses and the CIA. Right. Now, the U.S. intelligence community hasn't necessarily done strategic intelligence very well. The question is, is like, what's the right level of trust and what does that trust look like and why is it good? You know, is more trust in the intelligence community mean that we can do our job better? In the, you know, in terms of like the national security prong or worse, 
you know, what makes up a good job. So all those things are important to, to ask and to really parse out because otherwise we'll come up with a really oversimplified judgment that we, that sounds good and we can all yeah. pat ourselves on the back, but ultimately creates like havoc. Um, so, so where does the media stand, um, with that in your personal experience, as far as, you know, this is the intelligence community. This is what they're saying. This is what we usually know happens within the intelligence community. They only tell us uh, certain facts and we have to, to gain our own. But where is the national security issue a focus within the media? In, in terms of, can you just, just like tell me what you mean? Yeah, just in what, what is released to the public. Are there things that within the media they have a scoop that says, oh my goodness, I didn't know that the government was doing this. It was a national security issue, but I'm going to put it on the front page of the New York Times because it is such a major scoop. Are those conversations happening? Well, what happens if it's already on the social media? Yeah, well, there you got me. Yeah, it's probably already on Twitter, right? I mean, that's what's going on here. It's like it's already it's already on, you know, Telegram has reported it, you know. Oh, sorry. Yep. No, Telegram is a social media site, but like the Russian press has already reported it. Or Russian social yeah, and, media and, sites. and Telegram, I would consider so, a social I mean, media site. You'd be uh, dumb. There, right. You there? It, it's, yeah. yeah. So th- th- there's all kinds of areas where the media can get the scoop. And yeah. it goes, are those conversations of, well, if I don't report it, someone else will. I know it's a, a national security issue, but the Washington Post is going to have it. So so I need to release it first. Or I've I've seen it on Twitter already. So I need to report it anyway. I'm trying to think if I've ever like had a conversation like that. I I, I personally have never had a conversation like that. Um, I know uh, I I had recently with this leak. Um, I had conversations with people where I said uh, I I'm gonna on my own Instagram account. I'm going to report on it, but I'm not releasing the information because even though the information is out there, the what we have been told is. Whether the information is out there or not, it's still classified. So do not report on it. Right. Yeah. But you're also you also signed a, a security clearance, you know, now right. closure. Yeah. It's an a NDA act- sort of thing. And that actually potentially could legally and, and set aside the moral could legally also harm you because right. you know, during the Manning trial, I mean, they 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 did convict her actually of um, willful. Um, essentially with the, the meaning, it was, a, it was a charge under UCMJ that had never been used before because she was in the army at the time. Um, right. so in addition to federal charges like 793 that Teixeira has, they were also used because she had a court martial. Um, and it was for, um, basically, um, she was charged with publication, meaning to say that she, that the fact that it, and, and that's what the case against Assange is, which will be interesting with the way that they talk willful dissemination. Because obviously he's the publisher. So who's the proximate publisher? Is it Tashera or is it you on Instagram, p- hypothetically speaking, you know, disseminating it further? Now that right. definitely will come with any U.S. citizen who hasn't signed a security uh, agreement is going to like smash into the first uh, amendment. It just is. Whether you agree with it or don't, it's going to smash into the first amendment and there's going to be a constitutional right. issue because it's about expression. Um, and this also happened to, to a reporter named Barrett Brown, who, you know, um, I mean, he, he was sent to prison for 
publishing a link to material um, from a chat, you know, that I, you know, that uh, le- uh, not leaked material, a uh, stolen material uh, from oh, this yeah. pack. Um, yeah. So like, are you, are you asking if members of the press, members of the press should absolutely not worry about that. That's not the job of the press. You know, look, people are arguing whether Discord should have taken it off and censorship and all that kind of shit. Um, but fundamentally, if you are a citizen of a particular country, you have to follow that country's laws. You have to follow your moral compass. If something is potentially harmful to someone, you know, or you, you, you try to mitigate it. Obviously, people are like, well, any, everything's, you know, forever on the Internet. It's true, but you can also mitigate things even if it gives you an extra day. Who knows? Maybe it gave investigators three extra days or whatever. There are a lot of like uh, things that are tied to these actions. They're not just nonsensical. But that also begs the question of are the social media companies responsible when this these kind of leaks happen? Right. And that's also an issue that's going to be a problem for them because it comes back to, you know, whether or not they should be liable for everything posted by their users. And you know, whether or not they'll get immunity. Yeah. And, and every country is different with that, right? Europe, Europe has some different laws on it. The U.S. has different laws on it. Uh, I know Twitter right now is is arguing against Europe to, to be taken off of Europe because they don't want to be considered that anything that's posted on Twitter is Elon Musk's problem, let, let's say. You know, this. I had a, an, a discussion with a very prominent scholar on a an email list that I'm a part of that's uh, basically made up of technologists. I can't tell you who it is because it's Chatham House Rules. But, Got it. Um, you know, this person's argument was that Snowden should get immunity because the telecoms got immunity. That mm-hmm. was her. Now, clearly, Snowden is not only charged for the Verizon order. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, like, that argument will fail in court but theoretically speaking it also kind of is the same kind of um you know question like why do certain um powerful entities get immunity under the law for what is found to be illegal whereas let's say snowden was not a u.s government employee or whatever or let's say he was i mean why should he not get immunity i don't um i I think that, you know, there, there, there's a lot more to Snowden and to a lot of these um, cases than we often talk about um, that is mm-hmm. that falls outside of the whistleblower category. But let, like even if we took it at a clean kind of if we just pretended that that's all that that was. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the with the Snowden things. And, and I think I said this the last time I have no love loss for for Snowden. Um I don't think what he released should have been released. It was a national security issue. And, uh, but I also don't agree with what a lot of people said during this, this week in that they, they talked about this person as a whistleblower. I didn't think he was a whistleblower. Uh, I think he was trying to get certain pieces of information that were outside of his purview. And he wanted to release it to young, I say young kids, 17, 18 years old. He was a 20, 21 year old releasing this information to try to heighten his status. Um, so, so do you see it differently 
as far as was Snowden a whistleblower or was was this person a whistleblower? Um, I don't think Manning's. Uh, let me let me not, not make a like dumb kind of simple statement. <laughs> we, we talked last time that Manning's leaks are very broad, and so are yep. Snowden's leaks. Um, I think the whistleblower um, claim is really an appeal to advocate for a defendant. Oftentimes, um, people are going to take different views on this. Um, somebody who has served in the military, maybe during the Vietnam era, might look at Daniel Ellsberg as a traitor, emotionally speaking, not under law, but like a traitor. Um, yep. And, and say like, look, that was top secret. That shouldn't have gone out. Now, um, obviously, other people who have served in the military might disagree with that, who are anti-war. Um, a lot of this has to do with whistleblowing as a moral act is about different values that one has to account for. The whistleblower has to account for a violation of an oath to secrecy. Um, there has to be a moral neutrality to it. That's why you oftentimes have that mitigating sort of ombudsperson in the middle who can take out the emotion from the leaked material um, and be able to weigh the various things. That's why you have that, you know, ostensibly in theory, the whole process of like whistleblowers legally defined whistleblowers within the military or the intelligence community. Um, right. Those processes are prob problematic. I mean, even when it comes to like sexual abuse, we know like within the military and stuff like that. Um, it, so f they cannot pawn off that oath to secrecy though, to the newspaper person. Or to what, who, whomever, to their Discord group. You know, they have to account for that. And I think that Snowden doesn't account for that. You know, he, he claims like, you know, he gave it to Gelman and blah, blah, blah. The Snowden case is very, very complicated because you have that, um, trip to Russia and right. a lot of, it's not just the Verizon order. It's, you know, NATO collection on Russia in Europe that was, you know, published in the Washington Post. Um, the leak was very broad. It, you know, he was an admin, so he had that. Um, and there's all the counterintelligence components to that, which we don't all know. And Snowden's story does not add up. It just doesn't. With Manning, I mean, like, you know, one could argue that, and, and has been argued, like the Iraq body count, um, uh, you know, the, the, the discrepancy between official casualties from the war and the ones that are counted up from the SIGAX and the, you know, the significant activity reports from Iraq, which uh, were yeah. turned in the press, the Iraq war di war logs. Um, you know, I, I think that the best way to describe Manning with the broad leak is someone who advocated politically. It was a self-help. That's what they would describe it under UCMJ. You know, I look at Manning like a conscientious objector, maybe one that was manipulated, but as a conscientious objector right. um, in her own way, you know, um, you know, with Teixeira, like what motivates the people personally, psychologically, I think there isn't a lot of difference between from what we know, I could, my subject to change more information to and Manning in terms of psychological uh, story of somebody isolated, engaging online. You know, internet love is very delusional. Yeah. Like, you know, you see it rip up marriages. You see it lend to leaking. I think it's the same phenomenon. 
where it's like you get close to people texting or online and it's just it's living in la la land you know it's like it's like that craft work song you know computer love you know what i mean it's bullshit um but you know what i'm talking about it's like that kind of weird yeah, one 100 is that what you think this this was a part of was like trying to gain clout within um to share as friend group I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. And we don't know because there's still a lot of, I mean, first of all, like, I'm just going to say this for the sake of like talking about espionage generally, especially in the internet age. I mean, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, there were foreigners obviously reportedly on this group, people including Russian nationals, as well as Ukrainian nationals, as well as people from Southeast Asia reportedly, this is based on news reporting. Um, And, you know, if you look at like, you know, the fact that the FBI has long known that, you know, video game communities are a place that Russian intelligence has um, placed some of their collection on to try to gather, you know, information from, I think personally that news reporters should also watch out. And you can see that potentially yeah. the WikiLeaks situation, for example, or, you know, going back to the Usden book of Bureau of Spies, where, you know, you have people who want it they're not going to tell you they're fucking working for the russian guy you know what i mean <laughs> like that's, yeah that's the whole point of a honeypot uh, we're not going to tell you we're, we're like, some you know you know how he came to feel like this was something that he wanted to do um i don't know the details of that like who you know maybe there was i don't know what that kind of exchange was on his group but i am saying that there is something about the internet interface and the way humans engage with it that creates that you know realm of intimacy a false intimacy and trust um maybe it's like you know talking into the computer it's like one just i don't know has and and one's own like childhood trauma all the things that can influence somebody being drawn to that you know and then separately being exploited by it right so we just i I mean and until everything comes out in a court of law, we won't know what his exact hope was with, with these releases. You know, like I said, he initially said it was anti-war. He, he wanted peace. And you brought up, you know, he was he was ready to fight with weapons and everything for, for certain things. So if we discovered it, a court of law, I mean, right. they don't yet. Right. I mean, the court of law has this particular uh, threshold for um, functional truth, which is, you know, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, according to charges based on certain facts. It's not all the facts, right. you know, and the intelligence assessment is going to be something separate, uh, you know, not only about damage, but also the counterintelligence investigation, which we might not ever know. Um, yeah, I-, I can tell you there is damage to the intelligence community just in how they have to to process this entire situation. So, so that is, that's an issue. Does that become a national security issue? There was nothing that I saw reported that showed how particular things were, were discovered. Um, a, as far as how intelligent, the intelligence community interacts with other agencies in order to obtain intelligence. So, so there wasn't any of that, but. It became a national security issue because certain things were 
brought into light that started, I would say, some conspiracy theories. And and it be, it started pushing people who may have been on one level to be more conspiratorial and then see, well, this person is just maybe this person is a whistleblower. Maybe the government has you know, the, they have carte blanche on everything and they don't tell us anything that's true. And it changed some people's minds. Yeah. I mean, that's fundamentally uh, a, a really important kind of question about, you know, just and stable governance within like the guardian class of people. I'm using the guardian class. It's not from, it's not, it's not Soviet speak. It's actually from Plato's Republic. I'm just talking about the guardians. Yeah. The people who protect the political community. Um, you know, look, we're changing right now as a society. And that is, I think it's, you, you know, a lot of this is a, resp- there's a lot of like responses right now. There's like the reactionary response. Um, there's the laissez-faire, you know, response. Um, what's really important right now, I think, is just for us to continue to try to articulate what the landscape really looks like for for each other as, as citizens, but also for, you know, policymakers. I mean, everybody's like in a bubble. They're in their little own like, you know, bubble. And yep. I, I think probably at scale and, 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 and it's also like the velocity of information. You, we don't have much time to react as a society. But I think that the more that we talk about it, like even casual conversations like we're having um, where we start to spell things out, it, it, it does actually have an impact. Um, I even know like, you know, post Manning, post WikiLeaks, like talking, doing the work that I did in school, but also talking about it with colleagues. You know, once we kind of lay out, you, it's not about right, wrong, or telling people good, bad, but just spelling out the various kinds of aspects of these kinds of different issues beyond just traitor, shoot him in the head, you know, to like savior of the planet, uh, give him, you know, free citizenship to Russia. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I do think that that does get lost. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up and, and we'll wrap it up right now. But um, this is why I bring you on, because I respect you a lot w- within the media, because I'm not within the media and, and I talk a lot against the media. So I, I tried to reach out to you on social media just to, to get a clear head on this. So I really appreciate you bringing a level head to this. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, thank you, Alexa. This is not going to be the last time you'll be on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, if you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.